In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello everyone, this is John Lim with Moving Forward, and today we have a fun episode. I am interviewing the funny and talented Andy Bray. Andy is a gifted television, film, and stage performer. He has appeared in numerous commercials, TV shows, and indie comedies, as well as theatrical productions of Equus and Amadeus. But Andy is perhaps best known for a hilarious over-the-top commercial for the Stars Network and for his past co-starring role on the online series Star Trek New Voyages. On top of that, he is a proud husband, father of two sons, and the owner of two cats. Welcome, welcome, Andy. How are you today? <laughs> Thank you. I'm great. I, I don't know. I think I should end the interview here. I don't think it's going to get any better than that intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you have an amazing, amazing career and an amazing story. So, Andy, I've only scratched the surface. Would you care to fill in your professional and life resume and tell our listeners a little more about yourself? Okay. Well, I moved out here in uh, in 2000, and so I've been out here for for. 14 years, it'll be 15 in, in September, and pretty much came out here right after high school. I uh, used my, my college fund that my folks raised my entire life to go buy a car so I could move out here. And uh, yeah, I've been studying improv, as you said, uh, doing small stuff here and there. Uh, I used to write in high school, and I, I still write here and there, and I actually am trying to dive back into that. And uh, I've done some sketch stuff uh, on local TV. And I've done uh, a lot of shorts, little uh, films, independent films, comedy shorts, and uh, a lot of stuff that's never seen the light of day. But that tends to happen uh, with a lot of actors. You know, they, they build the resume and they build the reel, and not a lot of that stuff ever gets seen unless you hit the big time. And then it, it gets screened on, on The Tonight Show at the actor's detriment. Uh, so, And otherwise, yeah, just networking and making friends uh, like yourself. Uh, I met doing uh, Star Trek New Voyages. Wow, so. yeah. No, Andy, I can't believe how long ago that was. And man, you, you just did such a fantastic job. And I know, and I should also mention that you also did a stage production of the unintentionally funny but classic <laughs> Trek episode, Spock's Brain. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? That's right. Yeah, it was uh, done by, it was actually Paramount and the Improv. It was Paramount sanctioned. They got William Shatner's permission and they got Leonard wow. Nimoy's permission because they're they're small percentage owners of Star Trek. Not a lot of people know that, and they have the rights to their characters and they had to sign off on it. And uh, Leonard was actually very particular about approving his actor. Uh, he's very protective of Star Trek, mm -hmm. and uh, Shatner basically said. <laughs> I don't effing care. That's fine. <laughs> so well, I guess it sounds it sounds care. about right. I think. Well, well, yeah, Andy, he's less protective. I think of Star Trek. Well, Andy, you are pursuing a career that I think so many people just dream about, fantasize about. Can you tell us a little bit more? First of all, tell our listeners who you portrayed on the Spock's Brain stage show, as well as in later on in Star Trek: New Voyages. I portrayed Chekhov, Ensign Pavel Chekhov. And uh, I got that. It started with just on the internet, goofing off with my friend, and we came across auditions. And we saw this for Spock's brain. He pointed it out only because I'm a Star Trek fan, because it was a stage thing. And so we didn't, it was a, a, 
a really small pay stage thing, and we weren't really looking for those things. We were looking for more film and TV. But we, we, we looked at it because it was Star Trek and submitted because it was Star Trek, and I submitted for Chekhov because as much as I would love to play Captain Kirk, at the time I was young 20s and I'm short. So <laughs> Captain Kirk was kind <laughs> well, of... Wait, wait, I think, I think the, the correct phrase is what, uh, vertically challenged? That's right, <laughs> vertically challenged. So I did that, and I, I showed up, and I, had, I happened to have longer hair at that time, so I had a kind of a monkey's beetles haircut to begin with and and the director mike carano a really funny guy who does photography at the improv he basically said you look the part if you can do the accent you've got it oh you know i went home and and sweated it out because i didn't think i could do the accent well andy you've just built this up so you've got to do a little bit of the checkoff voice well i found in in studying the role that the key to doing the accent and this is since this is podcast this is essentially radio i know I'm, I'm doing it right now but you can't see it the key to doing the checkoff voice is you have to raise your lip and essentially you have to look like elvis when you're talking <laughs> oh my and God. that is how you do the public checkoff accent oh like, that is fantastic where are the nuclear whistles <laughs> and i told that to walter because we actually we we, we did um about a half dozen shows in Orange County. Paramount wouldn't let us do it in L.A. because they thought if we if we bombed, we would ruin the franchise, which at this point was nearly, I think this was just before Enterprise went off the air. So it was already kind of heading towards a hiatus. And they only let us do it down at the Improv in Orange County because they didn't want us to ruin the franchise. And we had sold out crowds. We had fans showing up in costume. They loved us. And then we got to take it to Vegas at the Star Trek, the creation uh, Star Trek convention. And uh, I, I went up to, to Walter Koenig while he was on stage and told him what we were doing. And he said that he had seen the poster. And then I was the one guy who actually looked like his part. And uh, <laughs> he said he would be there front row center. And he was front row center. And then he came backstage. And when I told him that the key to doing the accent was because he said, oh, you do a really good uh, me. How do you do it? I said, well, I found the key to doing it, Walter, was just raise my lip. He's like, no, I don't do that. <laughs> and then months later, when we when we ended up doing new voyages, he said, you know what? I I looked back at myself forty years ago, and yeah, yeah, I do raise my lip. Oh, I that is it. fantastic! I love that story, Andy. And for those who don't know, Walter Koenig was the original actor who played Chekhov in the 1960s Star Trek series, and later in in six of the feature films, or actually seven. I think he was in uh, Star Trek Generations as well. And basically, you got his endorsement for the role. Is is that correct? Yeah, because what happened was, little did I know that when I I met him, he was already in contact with a a film doing an episode, reprising his role as Chekhov. And they were in the episode Chekhov um, ages from a young man in his 20s to an older man, Walter, but they needed the young man to play Chekhov in his 20s. And he was looking for someone at the time, and then he came across me at the, the convention doing Spock's brain. And even though we were doing a comedic version, you know, we were essentially doing the episode uh, completely line for line, but playing it for laughs. But he saw, I guess, enough of my character and, and able to do the accent that he thought that I would be great to play the younger Chekhov. And he insisted to the producers of New Voyages that they hire me. And so then they contacted me and said, Walter Koenig wants you to play Chekhov. And that's how I got involved with that. I got, as you said, in, in the endorsement uh, of Chekhov himself. And wow. we 
not only was I younger Chekhov in the episode, but we actually shared a few scenes, a few meta dream sequence scenes where we actually discuss his past together at Chekhov E. Chekhov. Now, that is fantastic. And also, you were both featured in a photo op for Wired magazine. I believe it was in 2006 where you're, they show both of you standing side by side. And it's just sort of a mind-blowing photo to see you two <laughs> together. Yeah, definitely as a Star Trek fan, it was a very cool opportunity to not only meet him, but then to, to play Chekhov opposite him and, and do photo a photo spread with him. And my dad, who's also a Star Trek fan, was just beside himself that I had kind of stumbled into this Star Trek career. And, and through the film, not only did I meet Walter, but I met George, and I, I met Denise Crosby and David Gerald, and I, I, I made friends with Richard Arnold, who's a Star Trek expert, and he was a consultant on Next Generation, working beside Gene Roddenberry. And, and through him, I met just about the entire original cast and, and Next Gen cast. And I've kind of had this opportunity to, to meet and work with some of the, the Star Trek actors, and it's just been a really fun opportunity as an actor and as, as a huge Star Trek fan. I mean, what a blast. That's just sort of the double bonus right there. Well, Andy, I think our listeners are really excited to learn a lot about you. So what are you passionate about, and how did you discover that passion? Besides Star Trek, I'm passionate <laughs> about about acting and writing and comedy. I like making people laugh, and I think probably one of my earliest memories of that was uh, a kindergarten play, a production of The Night Before Christmas. And in it, I had a, a really small part as just one of the sleeping kids. But I remember being really excited about it, dressing up in my favorite Batman and Robin, Robin pajamas. And uh, I wanted to be in character. So while all the other kids were pretending to be sleeping, I made sure to shut my eyes because I wanted it to be realistic that I was on stage sleeping. <laughs> and so, of course, I missed my visual cue to get off stage. Oh. <laughs> and everyone else left the stage and I got a nice big laugh as I'm just there sleeping by myself and Santa had to kind of nudge me and pull me off stage. That's, that's true method acting there for you folks. <laughs> Absolutely. I was method at a very young age. <laughs> that's great. That, I think that probably started it. And then throughout middle school and high school, I, I started the motion picture club in high school and I, I did a Wacky Wednesday, an improv group in high school. And I, I did plays, really comedic, crazy plays in, in middle school. And, and I was all about making people laugh, and, and I started doing creative writing in high school, and I wrote three screenplays in high school, none of which were very good, but I wrote three. Hey, you got to start somewhere, right? School, so, yeah. No, that's awesome, Andy. I, I love that. I love you literally found your passion with your eyes closed asleep or <laughs> yeah. pretending to be asleep. I mean, how many people can really say that? I think that's that's an amazing story. It's something I did not know about you. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Andy, we're going to dig a little deeper here. So one of the things that we like to share with our listeners and with all of our guests who just have such extraordinary stories, how they got to where they are in life and how they discover their successes and passions. So we're going to actually segue into a very, very important piece of reflection. So can you share a time in your life where you failed or faced a challenge that seemed so insurmountable, but it ended up being a valuable learning experience or a turning point for you to find a road to success? Yeah. Well, as an actor, you definitely get the opportunity to fail quite a bit. And uh, one of my favorite actors, Charlie Chaplin, uh, he's got a a quote that I just love. Uh, Failure is unimportant. It takes courage to make a fool of yourself. And 
I think that can go for a lot of people, but particularly I find it useful as a, as an actor who who wants to strive and succeed in comedy. You gotta really just go up on stage and not be afraid to fail, not be afraid to just flop. And now, in saying that, I wasn't exactly sure what my story would be, but it, it just came to me as I was saying that I, I tried my hand at stand up comedy once, and I'd never really thought to do stand up comedy. I'd always seen myself more as an improviser. Uh, someone I actually did improv with asked me that she was putting together a comedy show. She said, will, will you do some stand-up? And I'd never done it, but I thought, here I'm being given this opportunity. The last thing I want to do as an actor and be like, no, I don't want to try that because I'm afraid. Because you always read about these actors who say, you know, you got to try it. you you got to do it. You can't be afraid to fail. And, and again, Charlie Chaplin's quote, you, you know, failure's unimportant. It takes courage to make a fool of yourself. So I thought, you know what? Here's an opportunity to try stand-up. I've always kind of wanted to. So I'll do it. And I, I wrote some stand-up, and uh, I, I thought I had a pretty good slant. And I was, I was a little nervous on the day, and I, I don't think I was shaking. I didn't forget my lines. Uh, I, I memorized it. I think I was a little too focused. And I got some laughs up front, but then it kind of went long. And there was that, that dreadful silence for a good long portion of it where you're just like, okay. Oh, wow. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying up here. And I think uh, part of it was I, I had taken kind of two voices. I, I'm... A big fan of Steve Martin and his kind of meta, kind of weird, uh, ironic comedy sensibilities. Especially if you've ever heard his stand-up, he's very—he's the prototypical bad comedian, the the hokey comedian. But he's done it in such an intelligent, funny way that it's funny. But at the same time, I also came in with my stand-up is I had like this angry stand-up comedian who comes <laughs> in with the "Let me tell you about this." And so I think I mixed kind of two comedy styles that didn't quite. Mix the way I had envisioned. And then I went a little too long and a little too tongue-in-cheek, and the audience didn't really respond to it the way I hoped. And I, I didn't read them, and I didn't adjust, and I kind of stuck to it. And then by the end of it, it was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go to the bathroom and wash my face off with water because I feel like a cold sweat coming on. But at the end of it, I was still kind of proud that I had tried it. And I don't think stand-up comedy is really my cup of tea. I really see myself more as a, as a sketch writer and a... Uh, an improviser. That's really what I love doing. But I was kind of proud that I tried it. And I think maybe at the end of the day, I might try it again someday. But I think that's, that's, that's my story, at least one of my stories of failure. Again, as, a, as an actor, you get quite a bit of auditions that flop and, and you kick yourself and wonder why you did this when you should have done that, or if only I'd done this. I think in any career, and particularly again, acting, you certainly get your opportunity to fail. And I think the key is to kind of learn from it. And I'm kind of pushing more towards I just starting maybe as a writer and making my way in the in the business as a screenplay writer first. Well, Andy, I love that story. The Chaplin quote is fantastic, and and one of the things that we do with each of the guests is that we will post your website. But I I think that quote should definitely go up there. It encapsulates, I think, what you need to do if you want to be an actor or a performer. But I really think it's a good philosophy in life, no matter what your profession is. And one of the themes that we've seen with a lot of our guests and that we explore is just getting over that fear of failure, just going out and trying it and just not being afraid to stumble and fall. So that is really fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, as I said, as an actor, I've had quite a few opportunities to fail, and I've certainly failed uh, quite a few times. But I think that Chaplin quote is great, and it's poetically said, but I, it's a quote that I think a lot of people, and in, 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 as you said, a lot of different industries have heard before, that, you know, one, one door shuts in your face, you know, you just got to look for that other door. And acting, it happens 
maybe more frequently and more often than a lot of other industries, but I think it happens really to everyone in, in all walks of life. I mean, another acting example is I just saw the, the 40th anniversary of SNL and they had a segment about SNL auditions. Including yes, yes, people, I did see that. Yeah, and- who, who didn't get onto the show, who failed, essentially. Their audition was a failure and they've gone on to great success. Jim Carrey, Zach Galifianakis, uh, Stephen Colbert, all auditioned for SNL. Yeah, and, and I think Steve, Car- uh, Steve Carell was in there too, wasn't he? Probably, yeah, yeah. And and Steve Carell and Steve Colbert did end up doing voices in the, the animated. They were ambiguously gay duo. They were the voices of that. Uh, but they didn't become cast members. And and obviously they, they didn't give up acting because of that failure. They just said, well, you know what? SNL, that door is closed, but there's probably another door to get into the career. And they, they found it. And that's that's kind of where I think I'm at right now. I've had some success. I've done, as you mentioned, uh, the, the New Voyages thing. And that was fun. And that, that was certainly, that took me, that road took me all the way to, as you remember, you and I both did New Voyages. And then we both used that to uh, get auditions for J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. I think you had found some interviewer, George Takei and, and Walter Koenig both endorsed us. That's right. That's right. It was a TV land interview. Yes. Yeah. We, you put together a disc, uh, Star Trek stars endorse Andy Bray, Star Trek stars endorse John Lim. And we, we packaged all that. I remember being at your house late one night and, and just putting all this together, printing it out. And, and we, we, we mailed it in to Paramount and, and to Bad Robot and to April Webster was the, the uh, casting director. And we found all their addresses, mailed it in. And as well as that, we also went down to Bad Robot. We found the address. That's right. Surprisingly, they, we were actually able to walk in the door. Uh, Paramount and other studios, you can't do that. Their, their security is much tougher. But Bad Robot, we came down there. We went to the receptionist and said, oh, yeah, we're here for, for April. And, and I was, remember you charmed the receptionist who was reading a Harry Potter book and pointing out that you were a, a fellow Harry Potter fan. So I think I that, I think that helped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, she let us in, and I was surprised we'd gotten that far. Usually the, the receptionist, they're usually you don't get past security, and the receptionists are, are well-trained at, at saying, oh, yeah, yeah, leave it with us. But we actually got to April's office. She wasn't there, but we left on a big pile. In fact, we had just, as I understand it, we had just missed her. She had just left literally like five minutes before we had gotten there. Maybe she had been warned that we were on the way. (laughs) We left it on a big pile for her, and then we both ended up getting auditions. You got an audition for for Sulu. And and I I can't remember who eventually got the role, but yes, that's... (laughs) Some other John actor, yeah. I, I think a lesser John. <laughs> and then, yes, that's right. You 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 ended up with an audition as well. I didn't know it at the time, but they had already cast Anton Yelchin. Apparently, according to interviews, he was April's first choice even before – as soon as she got the job, I guess, she had him in mind. So there was no chance to audition. Which shows that casting directors don't always have the best instincts. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I got to audition for just some crewman. But I remember – my agent calling me and being shocked. You, I could hear his jaw on the floor as he told me I had an audition for Star Trek because he certainly didn't do anything to get it. And uh, he didn't understand how it happened, but he was quite proud of himself bringing the news to me. Of course. <laughs> and I got to audition, and that was where that path led. And I didn't get a part in Star Trek, but I got to meet April. She knew who I was and spoke to me in a Russian accent when I walked into her office. Oh, that's great. It just shows that we had succeeded you know, at, at getting her attention. Yeah. And even though that didn't work out, you know, it gave us both a thrill, a story, and it gave us enthusiasm and told us that this was the right idea. Try it again. It didn't work out this time. Didn't get the part. But, you know, we had the right idea in mind. 
And right now, the the with the the Groundlings thing and the uh, you know stand up, you know, a couple other doors that had closed. And so that was kind of a wake up call that Groundlings route didn't work for me, and maybe I should try writing a comedy spec script and get myself in that way, something a little more grounded. And that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment, doing a more grounded. A, a comedy film. Well, Andy, I think that's fantastic. I, I love this story and I love your journey because you you started out with such a big passion, such a big goal. And along the way, you've learned how to pivot and really refine that so that you're finding something that really is the perfect fit for you. There are probably a lot of listeners who are in Hollywood and can relate to your story, people outside of Hollywood. I just love the fact that you're constantly redefining yourself and just trying different things and really living and embodying that Charlie Chaplin quote about just not being afraid to take a risk and take a chance. Yeah, I think you, you definitely got to. You've, you've got to take that chance. You've got, you got to take that risk. And you got to, you know, if something's not working, figure out something that does work and, and not be afraid to change or adapt. And yeah, I mean, it's not the end of the world for doing improv and doing comedy or just, you know, trying to write and continuing to audition and, and just keep moving forward. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Well, having read your writing, you're extremely talented, Andy, and I think it's a great, great course to be pursuing. You know, I've read some of your work, I've read some of your scripts, and you just have just this wonderful, wonderful flair for writing characters and dialogue. So I think that's a great path to pursue. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, anyone who's interested in writing, I would definitely, this was recommended to me, and I think it, it's absolutely a brilliant book, and I would recommend it to anyone else, is uh, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. Oh, I love the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. It breaks down uh, every movie into very simple beats. It gives everything a really clever name so it's easier to remember. And it's about not just writing a good movie with a, a good beginning, middle, and end, but writing a movie that sells in Hollywood, which is not a dirty word. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, oh, I don't want to be part of the Hollywood system. But as Blake puts it, you can be an independent free spirit, but you've got to be able to write your stories in a way that the, the big suits can still get a grasp on it and say this is something we can sell because otherwise you're not going to be successful. And I, I think this this book is so great in, in not only breaking down movies from a marketing point of view and from a, a Hollywood studio point of view, but really just from a basic storytelling point of view about what's important in, stel- in telling stories and, and the beats of telling stories. And the Save the Cat title it comes from the story he tells about a movie, every movie, you, you got to like the character. You got to give the character that save the cat moment. That's where he got the name from. And he basically, he, he breaks everything down and, and simple to understand things like that. And he's got two other books, Save the Cat Goes to the Movies and Save the Cat Strikes Back. But <laughs> I think it, it makes writing, because writing can be so scary. You, you, you sit down in front of your computer and it's just like the big, vast emptiness of what do I put down? Sure. And he gives you the roadmaps to kind of break it down. And so that would be my recommendation. That was recommended to me, and it really kind of changed the way I looked at movies. So as a writer, I would certainly recommend that to any writer out there. As an actor, 
I would certainly just recommend a thick skin. <laughs> I'm not being afraid. <laughs> good of advice. Reading. Very good advice. Well, Andy, I think you may have answered this, though, but I'm going to go ahead and, and dive into our next question. It's a two-part question, really talking about life influences. So um, since you've already talked about Save the Cat, which, uh, you know, I love the title. We're going to post that on our website. Let us let me alter the question a little bit. So you've talked about a book that sounds like that's been very influential, but has there been a movie or a song or a play that has also been greatly influential in your life and in pursuing your passion? I would say uh, with regard to movies, and this sounds is going to sound really nerdy. <laughs> Go for it. Come on. <laughs> Star Trek, I think. I mean, I, I just... Well, which so, one? <laughs> I think the, the entire franchise. Probably, <laughs> oh, as a kid, I just absorbed all of that and I continue to. And I think that kind of, that gave me the love of movies that kind of began... Uh, my my push towards coming out here and pursuing it as a career. I mean, I've also, aside from Star Trek, I would say Jim Carrey. I, I was in high school just obsessed with him and imitated him in high school to no end. And uh, then now Charlie Chaplin and just the art he brought to films. But also as a young child, my dad, who is a retired Metro Dade police officer, he used to work the Miami Vice sets. And what... Michael Mann, um, the producer of, of Miami Vice, used to do is he used to love to take the cops who were working the sets. Because any movie production, you have a certain number of cops who are there to guard the sets and protect the sets and you know cordon off the streets and et cetera. And then you've got the fake cops because it's a cop show. And so he used to love to take the extras who were playing the, the fake cops and have them do the regular cop duty guarding the set which my dad said they got a kick out of. And he would take the real cops and have them be the on-the-screen extras, playing oh, cops. Wow, what because a he wanted, Yeah, he, he wanted that real realism of, you know, a real cop knows how you aim a gun, hold a gun, knows how you drive your car, knows how you talk into your microphone, rather than trying to teach that to the extras or hoping that they would know it or just come close enough. He had the real cops play the cops. And to give that extra bit of realism to Miami Vice, which I think Miami Vice was kind of groundbreaking in in that regard. I know a lot of people think of it as a really hokey, you know, '80s hair and '80s music, but but Michael Mann, as you see in, in for instance, one of his films, Heat, which is a really fantastic uh, cop movie. Yeah, it's a great and, movie. Yeah, he really is a stickler about the realism when it comes to police work, and uh, so my dad used to show us a clip from a Miami Vice episode called The Hit List. Uh, I think it had an alternate name too, Somebody's Revenge. But in it, um, Crockett's wife is in a, a safe house being protected because Crockett's on the hit list. And so there's a scene where he comes, he, they think they got the bad guy, and he comes back to the safe house to see his wife. And uh, they've got, my dad is basically the cop watching the wife. And my dad used to brag to us about you know meeting <laughs> the, the, the actors and, and joking on set with uh, with the actors and... and uh, and how it was his idea in the scene. He's sitting there reading a magazine. He's like, yeah, you know, when I stand up and walk out of the room, that was my idea to throw down the magazine. Just toss it on the waiting room table as he walks out. <laughs> and so they used to brag to us about that. That was his idea. As, as Crockett comes walking in, my dad tosses the magazine. Well, to the, you know, it's now starting to make sense. Maybe <laughs> that's where you got your, your penchant for writing scripts and ideas. It may, have, it may be in the genes, Andy. I, th I think, well, that was probably the earliest indication that movies weren't just some 
far off fantasy. You know, it wasn't just this thing on TV that real people worked in the movies and real people were were behind the scenes. You could do that as a career. I think it's probably one of my earliest inspirations and real pushes towards that career. Well, that's fantastic. I think that's something that a lot of our listeners probably didn't know, especially those who are fans of Miami Vice. I certainly didn't know that. And I think that was that's a really cool idea, just flipping things and having the real cops portray the, the cops in the show. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about it, really. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly it's a lot easier than trying to drink train uh, extras and as an extra when I first came out to to Hollywood I did extra work they don't spend a whole lot of time on the extras it's, the director doesn't give you direction usually and uh, even the assistant director you you're like the second AD is the guy who really kind of wrangles the extras and and tells you guys and especially on big productions and it's with a bullhorn and it's kind of you're really kind of movie set dressing and so they don't often spend a lot of time saying, no, you've got to hold your gun like this because this looks more realistic. It's just, hey, you're going to walk from here to here. Try not to bump into the actors. Well, also, your story illustrates another important facet about life in Hollywood and being an actor that you have to pay your dues. And you certainly paid your dues just starting out as an extra and then worked your way up into more co-starring and featured uh, role. So I think that's really illustrative, too. And that's something that a lot of our listeners can really relate to, no matter what career they're in, is that you got to start at the beginning and you got to pay your dues and work your way up. Yeah. And as an actor, I certainly don't want to imply that you go to the set as an extra and you, you know, they, they point at you and give you a line. And I know a lot of extras go in thinking, yeah, this is my big break. It's, it's really not. It's a great way to see what the behind the scenes looks like, you know, what an actor does, hurry up and wait aspect of filmmaking, the uh, what goes into making movies, how a, a day on set goes. And it's a good introduction to life on a movie set. Absolutely fantastic way to see all that. And that's a great way to earn your vouchers. And back when I was doing it, you needed three vouchers to get into uh, the guild. And, and the other way to get into the guild is you get a line. Someone gives you a line and then instantly you're in the guild. Or if you get cast in a part that's a SAG film, then you'll, you'll get lines and then you'll have to join the union. Uh, speaking of J.J. Abrams again, he was one who at the end of filming did actually pick out extras to give lines to. And anyone who watched the, the 2009 Star Trek, there's a woman there when Vulcan is being sucked into the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> I love your encyclopedic knowledge, Andy. You yeah, are... when it comes to Star Trek, you know, I've got... <laughs> I think you're unbeatable at this, so... At minute 47, I don't know. <laughs> but well, there's a woman who was an extra who got given a line on J.J.'s film. So it does happen. It's, it's, it's the very, it's, you know, it's the, the holy grail of extras, but it does happen. But I do recommend SAG act, or extra acting for anyone just kind of wanting to get a, the feel of what it's like to be on, on a set. It's not going to, you're not going to get famous doing extra work, but it is a fun way to kind of learn the ropes. Absolutely. Well, Andy, second part of the question, is there a person that you've connected with in your life that has left a lasting impression towards you finding your career path and your life's passion? Hmm. Say, well, well, Walter was great to get to know a hero. I mean, I grew up watching Walter play Chekhov and watching Star Trek, and that was probably the first time I'd really become friends with, with someone that I idolized as a hero when I was a kid. And that's kind of a really cool thing to get to do. And that sums up what I came out here to do is come out here and be in movies and be in TV and, and, and live out a dream. And that was a chance to live out a dream. It was cool to get to be on set with Walter and at his house going over lines and connecting with a hero that way. That was a really cool thing. And, and getting advice, acting advice from someone I grew up 
watching. That was really cool. I, I'd say, I think that's probably the person. Well, also, I think you're being a little modest. You gave such an amazing performance. This piece, To Serve All My Days, which you can go to YouTube and you can you can see it on there, you and Walter just got to exchange such amazing scenes with so much range and depth to them. And you held your own with him on screen. So that is no small feat. So well, thank you. Very few people get that kind of opportunity to meet someone that they idolize, much less form a friendship. So I think that's really something special. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was yeah, such a cool opportunity, and and it, it I just feel yeah, really, really thankful to get to do it, and I'm really thrilled that he loved my performance and I didn't totally ruin his episode. And that's it's probably more advice for anyone doing acting is it's hard to to not look at the negative comments and the negative reviews, but you, you definitely got to remember the positive ones. And that's important to remember as, as a, as an actor that you may get rejected, but it doesn't mean you're horrible. It just means you're not right for the part or the casting director has something else in mind. Well, I think that's a really good life lesson too. You move on to the next thing. You, you don't let it weigh you down like a bag of bricks. You take it for what it is. You are, you hold on to the positive and you keep moving forward. And it's not personal. It's, it's especially in show business, it's just business, but in any business, even relationships as well, it's, it's, you can't take it personal because then it just eats you up. Like Charlie Chaplin at the end of most of his films, you know what? He doesn't get the girl in his films, in most of them anyway. He doesn't get the job. He doesn't get much in his films if, you, if you've seen his films. He's the tramp. He's the bum. And he usually ends his films walking down the street looking for the next opportunity. I think the best advice anyone can take for any career is rejection and failure doesn't make you a bum. It doesn't make you a tramp. You just got to walk down that road and look for your next opportunity. I love that. Walk down the road, look for your next opportunity. What advice do you have? And I think you probably just said it, but I'm (laughs) going to ask this question. What advice do you have for someone who is struggling to find their passion? My advice would be to give up. (laughs) (laughs) just just give up we might as well just hang up and call it a night (laughs) you know what why keep trying no like i said yeah i think if you're passionate about something you really don't need much encouragement to continue on you know that that's what you want to do and keep that passion keep that drive we all start our careers we we come out of college engines revving ready to pursue our our life streams and and my advice is don't give up on that. I've got a family now. I've got a wife and kids. I love them. I love that part of my life. And I've got a job now because you know what, when you have a wife and kids, you've got to support them. (laughs) And uh, my wife works as well, but you've got to be able to support them and you've got to be able to, to bring in the money so everyone can eat at the end of the day. But that's not the end of the story when it comes to your dreams either. That's part of the reason I'm kind of altering my, my path now and, and working on the writing now because I don't get the opportunity to audition as much as I used to. But the writing is something I can do. I read my, my screenwriting books and work on my writing during my lunch hours and try to do it after work as well and on the weekends when I can. And it's a way of pursuing career while still holding down a regular job to support myself and my family. And I, I think that some people might say, well, when you take a normal job, that's kind of the end of it. But I don't think that's the case. And I, I think if you've got the passion to act as I, I do, and, and I love improvising and, and comedy and making people laugh and acting and writing, and I don't want to give those things up. And I think that's the key is if you love it and you want to keep doing it, then don't give it up. And even if you've got to get a normal job to support yourself for the ones you love, that's not the end of the road either. Gene Roddenberry was a, that's the creator of Star Trek for anyone who's not aware, so I'm, I'm jumping back. But he was a LAPD motorcycle cop. 
before he became a hit TV producer. And he was writing scripts while he was uh, driving down the roads, uh, protecting the city. There's really no end to your dream or your career so long as you're not willing to uh, put an end to it. That is fantastic. There's no end to your career as long as you keep going. I love that analogy, just walking down the road. You have your passion, you find your passion, just hold on to it. Even if you have to take that regular job to pay the bills, you just never let go of that dream. And I love also how you've been able to pivot. You've been able to just keep going and redefine yourself and hang on to your passion and find your path in writing. It sounds like you've really been able to take your love from an early age and really, really define it towards a path that is right for you. I think so. I mean, thanks. I, I hope that's what I'm doing. I mean, it, you never really know where you're at and how how successful you're moving forward until you, you get there. I mean, it, it's, it's sometimes it's just a strange road. And I think a lot of actors come out here and they have that, if I'm not famous in two weeks, I'm going to move back. And that's that's really the wrong attitude because it doesn't it rarely works out like that. I think just surviving in L.A. is is a success. Oh yeah, surviving in LA, especially with the traffic on the 405, yeah. <laughs> is, is is in itself so an if accomplishment. Can, yeah, if you can make it a month, two months, a year in LA, you've you've succeeded there. And then if you can pick up parts and and work towards your career, you've made it there. If you can make contacts and network, you've made it there. You've succeeded there. And it's just it's not about the end goal right away. It's about the little steps that get you there. You just need to move forward with with a realistic goal. Have the little goals in between that remind you that you're getting there and not give up. I think that's key. Well, the fact that you've been there 15 years, Andy, and you're still going strong, that says a lot. And I think you have already found so many successes and you're still on that journey and you're still walking down that road. So I think that speaks volumes. And I think that's an inspiration that a lot of people listening to this can take from your story. And I definitely want to say also that I think people need to just be open to say yes to things and not be afraid of trying new things like the stand-up comedy wasn't my thing. I never really wanted that to be my thing, but I, I went ahead and tried it anyways. Yeah, no, absolutely. What is next for you? Well, I think next thing I want to do, as I said, I'm working on a screenplay. I think probably that's my next big goal is finishing that up. And, and working on, on getting that out there. I've spent so much of my career so far working as an actor. I'd, I'd like to try to break into the industry now as a writer and see how far I can get down that road and then marketing myself that way. I mean, I think you and I certainly learned how to be aggressive in marketing ourselves, and I want to put those tools to use, but now from a writer's perspective. Well, f- fantastic. I have no doubt that you have made an impact on our listeners today, and you've probably inspired more than a few. What is the best way that our listeners can make a connection with you? Well, I've got a website, uh, www. No one says that anymore. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> You're dating yourself. Yeah, everyone just forget I just said that. <laughs> My website is theandybray.com. TheAndyBray.com. Yeah, and it's got uh, my Twitter feed is on it. I'm, I'm on Twitter, and that's uh, at TheAndyBray. Andy, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know you got your hands full, and, <laughs> and I think I hear the kids in the background, so I'm going yeah, to let yeah, them have they're their... Gonna, so they're probably wondering when dinner is going to be ready. Yeah, so, so I'm going I'm to let them have their dad my back. my next project. You were asking about my next project. My next project is actually a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> dinner. The movie, the motion picture. <laughs> Folks, 
this is what the show is all about, moving forward, bringing out the extraordinary. And you've just heard from Andy Bray and his extraordinary story, just full of inspiration, full of successes, and full of that climb towards finding your passion and just keeping at it. And I love what Andy said, just walking down the road. Thank you so much, Andy. It's been a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure, John. My pleasure. Have a great week. Thank you all very much. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.